0: from being detected when you're out on a surveillance. So this, this program probably applies more directly to private investigators than it does to our general listeners, but I hope our general listeners will find it invest, uh, interesting as well. So I'm calling this segment Seen by Everyone, Ignored by All. We PIs are often involved in, a boy, a variety of undercover situations. We can be recovering children from abducted uh, Children that are abducted by a non-custodial parent or maybe uh, somebody that has been abducted off the street, a child, Um, maybe fettering out uh, workers' compensation fraud, identifying those who produce counterfeit products, gathering evidence on child custody cases. It could be all kinds of reasons why we want to go undetected. St. Louis private investigator Billy Reynolds is just full of ideas. He spent some time being very creative with how he protects himself. And he's my guest today. Hi, Billy.
2: Good morning, Francie. How are you?
0: Thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So... Question, you know, for our audience, just think about this. What can can you do if you're a minority in a neighborhood? What if you're a white face in a black neighborhood? What if you're a black face in a white neighborhood? Or if there's simply no place where you won't be noticed? How do you keep the target of your investigation and those around them from knowing you're watching? Particularly when we're so hyper-aware these days. How do you stay hiding in plain sight? So, Billy... um, it's so nice to have you on the show, and, and I read your article in PI Magazine. PI Magazine is one of our uh, very loyal sponsors. Uh, tell us about your background and how you got from being a, a regular citizen to a private investigator and what you're involved in.
2: Okay. I, um, I've got about 10 years of law enforcement experience, um, very very diverse law enforcement experience. I I was involved in a unit that we, we conducted quite a few investigations. And uh, because of the nature of our unit, we were constantly thinking outside of the box. Uh, but like most who had been in law enforcement, I was also working part-time jobs and uh, just happened to start a cleaning company that within no time paid substantially more than my law enforcement. So uh, the law enforcement career was was put on hold. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: We can shoot through a decade of of that company, which taught me a lot of the the business aspects of owning your own company. And I was looking to get back into law enforcement when I happened to run across an advertisement um, looking for police trainers in uh, in Iraq. So what Mm -hmm. was going to be a a one-year, let's see, let's go and see what it's all about and try to help out the situation over there. Um, turned into nearly three years uh, overseas in Iraq, training and advising um, Iraqi police forces, border border forces, and uh, to some extent the Iraqi army. Um, I came back from Iraq.
0: Let me let me interrupt you a second, yeah, Billy. What kind ahead. of training? What kind of training did you do?
2: Uh, boy, I'll tell you. It's it started out as just kind of basic. Uh, basic training i mean we we were literally taking villagers and and turning them into police officers um, as I had more time over there, my role became more of a mentor to the uh, to to the investigators uh we were trying to teach them how to investigate homicides um, on on a budget and when I mean a budget, you know you have to think I came from a police department, a fairly large police department and um you know, if we asked for equipment, if we needed some equipment to conduct a homicide investigation, we would have it. Uh, over here, we had $50 digital cameras that they were using, and, and that was about the extent of it. Wow. So it, it actually works out great for being a PI because, as you know, PIs do not have unlimited budgets. So it's really <laughs> True. It's, it's really helped me quite a bit as far as equipment is uh is concerned, although it's my equipment's a little bit better than what we had over there.
0: Well, and talk about having to think out of the box. <laughs> I'm sure you must have gotten into a lot of situations where you had to be really creative.
2: We absolutely we absolutely did. I, you know, obviously, there are cultural differences. Uh, I can remember one homicide scene, which um, was just the perfect training scenario. So as we're getting our investigators together... And walking them over to the scene, we saw one of the commanders telling a store owner to get buckets of water and wash away the blood and the bullet casings and everything. Basically, all of our physical evidence. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, it, was definitely, it was definitely challenging.
0: Well, definitely you know, it's, it just seems, I, I, this is something I never thought about before. It seems so odd to be investigating a homicide in Iraq when there's a huge war going on. That just seems a very odd thing to be doing.
2: It was, uh, to be candid with you. What what was more interesting is uh, the city that I was working in, the primary city, was a city of about a quarter million people, which is very similar to the city that I had worked in uh, as a police officer. Uh-huh. So we were able to compare crime statistics. And if you would have taken the war out of the equation and all... You know, acts of terrorism, the crime statistics were, uh, were very, very low. I mean, surprisingly low. It was very interesting to me.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but the crime was still there. Daily life, even though the war was happening, daily life, uh, daily life still had to go on. Life goes on. Amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you, you came back from Iraq when? Uh,
2: I came back in, uh, I was, I was actually injured, um, I was actually injured and and came back in September of 2008. Uh, I was still under contract until March of 2009, but I was not able to go back because of my uh, my injury. And it, mm-hmm. it it wasn't something that uh, you know I, there were people injured a lot worse than me in Iraq and Afghanistan. But it just I just wasn't through with my physical therapy and time and um, just wasn't able to to uh, get back over there. I would have liked to have though.
0: Would you? Really,
2: I I really yes yeah I I really we I felt we were really doing something over there, um, and I loved when we were training, in particular the investigators because they just really grabbed onto that and I think that's what made me get into this work because it just it was so much different than what I was used to with the police department because of you know as I was saying we didn't have all the assets and you're a little bit more on your own.
0: Exactly and they were probably you know so eager to have the knowledge too, I would think
2: without a doubt um, without a doubt and and you know it's it's interesting because i in some cases you'll see the media have reported that you know they can't handle this and and you know they they just don't have it, but you know that that can be true in some cases, but we trained some exceptionally good investigators I was very fortunate to work with uh U.S. Special Forces in training, Iraqi Special Forces, and uh, those guys were good. I'm just plain and simple. Really? Those guys were good.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's fascinating. So then, you, so then you you were released from that duty in 2009. Then what? What did you do then?
2: Well, then I became unemployed. Um, so I <laughs> I had to look for a job. I got. I was very, very fortunate. A former police officer friend of mine called me up. He was working a security deal for a uh, for a millionaire who was having some child custody issues and asked if I could help. Now, you know that call. We all hate to get that call. I've got the millionaire that needs you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Okay, so uh, so did you go to work for that guy? for a while?
2: Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I basically was, I guess you could say I was his in-house investigator for um, for about a year or so, and then I started to, uh, started to say, hey, this, I, I kind of like this stuff. Missouri, about that time, finally got to the point where um, we had licensing requirements. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed my, grabbed my license and then just started expanding the business from there.
0: That's right. Missouri didn't get licensed until just recently, did they?
2: It's been a few years, yeah, just uh, I guess maybe, maybe 2010.
0: Uh huh. Interesting. And, you know, I can tell you that private investigators across the country in licensed states are very happy about that. Uh, we'd certainly like to see every state have a strong licensing law.
2: Ab- so, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I was very happy to see Missouri make that move. I'm, I'm yeah. very happy, and they've done a very good job with it.
0: And so uh, now your your expertise, um, besides, I guess you do criminal defense work, correct?
2: I have a tendency to concentrate on criminal defense myself. Um, you know, we... We do a little. Well, I'd say we do a little bit of everything, but um, you know, it's it's almost like any other, or, or like like many other, PI firms. But uh, I will have investigators that concentrate on on particular things. I don't do a lot of child custody, for example, anymore. Mm-hmm. I have an investigator that will that will uh, specialize in that.
0: And. Uh, do you find, have you ever felt like there was a conflict between your former law enforcement experience and doing criminal defense?
2: I'll tell you where I really, uh, you know, I, I will have the guys tease me. Uh, you know, I I always hear the, you've you've gone to the dark side.
3: Right, exactly.
2: Uh, you know, and I don't know that a police officer that's went into PI work hasn't heard that. Right. Um, so you, you get that. I get it more with, I, I am one of a handful of uh, DWI consultants nationwide.
0: Yeah, DWI so will, meaning driving while uh, intoxicated.
2: Yeah, yeah. So in some states it's DUI and some it's OUI.
0: Right.
2: Um, but basically what, what it means is that you're driving your vehicle under the influence of alcohol or drugs, or whatever your state may call it. Right. Uh, and I, I do get a lot of guys. I get more guys upset that I deal with attorneys on that um, than if I'm dealing with an attorney on a on a, on really? a rape case well, or an assault. It, it it is it is.
0: But you train um, you train attorneys.
2: Yes, I do, uh, and I am. I'll train any attorney. It can be defense. Um, it can be a prosecutor. I've had judges in my course. Uh, I have a course coming up this weekend. I've got a whole bunch of paralegals in there. So basically, my training is to teach that portion of the criminal justice system what the police officers are learning so that everybody is going in and we're nice and we've got a nice even playing field. And and, and that's pretty much my goal with that. And I will also consult with police officers. I, I have no problems with police officers. If they want to uh, do a better job at their DWI reports, uh, I consult with police officers at, at at no charge. So hopefully, none of my attorneys heard that, but because uh, <laughs> then they'll say, "Well, why 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 are you charging me?" But.
0: Well, this is conversation just between you and me, Billy. <laughs> exactly, yeah,
2: exactly, Francie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making me feel better at least. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, but you're just you're really just explaining what the rules are.
2: For That's both sides. exactly it. Yes, yeah. um, that is exactly what I'm doing. Matter of fact, I, I use the same the same training manuals um, that that are taught in a police academy. Um, I also will, there are three standardized field sobriety tests and what I will do is I have what we call a live alcohol workshop and I will dose people up to a certain BAC level Really, and then I will have my attorneys take them through the standardized field sobriety test in the same manner that a police officer would do it.
0: Well that sounds like an interesting class for sure. It it definitely
2: it definitely can be. It just it kinda brings, you know, instead of saying well this guy was at a point one two, now you know what that how that may manifest itself. Exactly. So it, it is interesting.
0: Wow. And then you tell you testify as an expert. Yes, I do. Okay. All right. And and then your educational background, Billy?
2: I have. Oh, obviously I was a post-certified police officer. I have a, uh, uh, bachelor of science in criminal justice. Um, I will have to mention that I did stick through it and got a 4.0 GPA when I graduated. Good just for in you. case my mom is listening. <laughs> so
3: <Right>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> And I am, uh, I'm looking to get my master's at this point in, uh, in criminal justice as well, and and I've been dabbling with the thought of uh, of law school right now.
0: Oh, good for you! Good for you. So I have
2: taken yep. I have taken the LSAT, so I'm I'm good enough to get in. But boy, that's a commitment financially.
0: You're right. Time and money, lots of it. And so, you let me just clear up. You said post uh, post police officers' standards and training was the what the. POST acronym is for. Just wanted to clear that for people that may not know. Um, And then you belong to some associations, some private investigator type associations.
2: Yes. um, I'm basically uh, NACTL, which is National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. I'm an associate member Mm -hmm. of NACTL. And um, as is which I guess used to, well, I, I think as-is is now just known as as-is international, but it's basically yeah. a security, um, industrial security, American Society of Industrial Security, was it?
0: Something like that, yeah.
2: Some, some along those lines. I know they changed it a couple of years ago to just as-is international. And also um, NAPD, which is National Association for Public Defense.
0: Oh, Interesting. Very good. Well, it's so interesting to talk to you. I didn't uh, realize some of your background, so it's really fascinating to find out. We're going to take a really quick break, Billy. We'll be right back.
1: the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Talk, talk, talk. talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at CALI-PI.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the Council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com now, here's Francie Kaler.
0: Private investigator Billy Reynolds is, going, is with us here today, and we're going to be talking about creative ways to stay hidden when you don't want to be identified. So, uh, I know, Billy, you have a lot of ideas, but tell, tell me what, in what context you've been using these.
2: Well, we, here's what basically started all this for us. One of, uh, we, we have several clients in the area that are school districts, and we have a big
3: problem in our
2: area of parents sending children to schools uh, when they live out of the district limits. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens with this is in the state of Missouri, the average cost to educate a child in a public school is $14,000 a year.
3: Wow, so brilliant.
2: when you start to do the math on it, um, we're running roughly a hundred cases a year that we're finding parents that are doing this, and those are the ones that we're that we are doing ourselves that the school knows about. So obviously, the problem, just like anything else, is substantially bigger than that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But you're looking at a lot of a lot of taxpayers' money that's being spent.
0: And and loss of revenue to the school as well for every student, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it you know, and it goes beyond just the educational cost because uh, you run into a situation where the child may be maybe receiving other things from the school district, um, you know, reduced lunch, free lunch, whatever it might be, transportation cost, um, could be playing sports. Obviously there's a problem with uh you know, or not a problem, but there's there's a cost associated with any extracurricular activities and you know while we want the kids obviously education is is very very important the school districts i work with are very receptive to to work you know to working with the parents you know let, let's do this right mm-hmm. but we just run into a lot of parents that just won't do that
0: and what do you find or do you do you know this reasons mostly why parents want their child to go to another school. Is it because they think the school's better or is it more convenient?
2: Francie, I'm so glad you asked that question because a lot of times I will get a, you know, why are you keeping these kids out of these better schools? And I wish I could tell you that in every case, that was it. The parents wanted to take the child to a better school. However, that isn't always the case. Many times, I would say the majority of the times, it's a convenience issue for the parent. Mm-hmm. The school happens to be on their way to work. It happens to be close to a, a grandparent or, or other relative. Uh, the child may have gotten into some disciplinary issues at their current school. And, uh, you know, they, they knew that it was, it was going south pretty quick. So before they got expelled... They would take them to another school. Sports, on occasion, you will see that a mm-hmm. child wants to go to a particular school because of sports. Right. And then, really, to top it off, many times, it's, I went to this school, so I don't see why you shouldn't go to a school because I had a great
0: high school. Interesting. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is fascinating because I, I've heard about this, too, and I've, I've talked to people that are doing it. Uh, themselves mm-hmm. and and you always wonder, you know, what what really is the impact. So so when so what happens to these people?
2: Well, the I, I can I can basically just tell you what I it, it's more of kind of one of those here's what I've heard uh, hearsay to a bit um, because generally when when we're done with our investigation we turn it in and I try to stay as unbiased on the investigations as possible. Sure. We report the facts. This is what we saw. And then we hand it to the school district and the school district deals with it from there. However, I do know that in most cases, they, well, not most cases, in all cases, they give the parent the opportunity to move into the district. And they're, they're fair with it. You know, it's not something that, hey, you've got, uh, let's see, it's Thursday, so you've got till tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know they they are fair with it. If they it's allow late their child the child
0: to transition, then
2: yeah, we have, yeah absolutely, yeah. Sometimes if it's late in the school year; they'll let them remain. But um, all they're looking for is compliance. You know we we have uh, we have rules for for this, and uh, they're just looking for people to comply with the rules.
0: And. And so do you think these parents are hyper-vigilant that, they're be, that they may be being watched and so they're hard to uh, be conducting a surveillance on?
2: In many cases, uh, yes. And it's not just because of this, but what we find is a, a pattern with many of the parents that uh, we're not the only one looking for them. Um, what a surprise so, that is! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I knew you would find that shocking, but um, but that's that's the case. You know, sometimes they'll have warrants. Um, sometimes they'll have creditors looking for them. Um, you know, former landlords, repo man. The the list just the list just goes on.
0: Yeah. Okay, so tell me a couple of. Uh, uh, situations that you've gotten involved in. I know one in particular that that is just fascinating. So, um, so why don't we talk about that?
2: Okay, let me. I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit about how how our surveillance. You know what we are trying to get out of the surveillance because. Okay. I, I know in a lot of cases, if it, a cheating spouse is a great example, because we do we do those on occasion. If I get a husband and girlfriend walking out of a hotel one time, that is generally sufficient for the wife. Um, you know, we've we got a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Right. We don't have that with these residency investigations. I, the last thing that we want to do is to have a child walk out of a grandparent's house because mom got called into work and then say, okay, our investigation's over. Obviously the grandparent lives out of the district. They're living with the grandparent. You know, we want solid information, a solid case. We want to show a pattern of what's happening. Um and we will usually extend that to anywhere from a minimum of fourteen days up to twenty one days that, that we're conducting surveillance.
0: Yeah, because you have to make sure they're not just staying there temporarily, don't you?
2: Absolutely. And that's why our rules are a minimum of 14 days over a minimum period of three weeks. So we okay. extend it out. Because I don't want mom and dad going on a cruise for a week and thinking that we've just solved this case.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: that's, that's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to the, to the student or the parent, and it's not, it's not fair to our client either.
0: Okay. Okay. So so that creates some specific problems because you're in a neighborhood for, you know, it says two weeks. That's, pretty, that's a pretty long time.
2: Well, not only that, but um, we are in a neighborhood, most of, our, most of our clients prefer stills on these. So, so we are in the neighborhood taking still photographs while school buses are picking kids up each day.
3: Oh, so great. You know, <laughs> just just what
2: you want to see, the, the guy in the neighborhood taking pictures of the children. <laughs>
0: right. Okay, so how do you protect yourself?
2: Well, I, you know, a lot of it I'd like to say is just typical good old-fashioned surveillance work uh, where we we're able to go out there and, and get sneaky and sit in there and, hey, we're good. We got our pictures and good to go. Many times, however it doesn't work that way. So we've decided to to go just the opposite way and have found that if we make ourselves stick out in the neighborhood mm-hmm. so that people, people know that we're there, then we're able to actually blend in a little bit better. It's just like the UPS truck coming down the street every day. No one pays attention to the UPS truck. It's something that we, except my dogs maybe, but... Um, <laughs> But you know the UPS truck, the mailman, the the gas company working on something. You know, no one really pays attention to somebody like that. Right. But they do pay attention to a, an ex highway patrol car with a, you know, sitting sitting with a spotlight on it.
0: Okay. So are you, okay? You're saying an ex highway patrol car. So you can buy <laughs> patrol cars that are yeah. out of service.
2: Yeah, I was I was kind of. I was kind of taking a bit of a dig at guys that use ex highway patrol cars for surveillance. Okay. <laughs> uh, and try to be and try to be sneaky. I guess my my whole thing is it just doesn't really work real well.
0: Yeah.
2: So there's certainly so, a place for ex highway patrol cars within our industry, but trying to be sneaky isn't the place. And
0: there was this one situation where um, you had a situation where there was only three houses on a block.
2: Correct. Correct.
0: What happened with that?
2: Well, it was in a, a, an area where we had a lot of vacant houses. Uh, this particular block only had three houses, as you were saying, and then several vacant lots. And we just, there was just no place for us to park a vehicle and do surveillance in, in our normal fashion, I, I could not pull a, a, a Nissan Ultima on the street and just sit there. It just wasn't going to work. There was no place for us to, uh, to do that. So we had to think of something different. And at the time, I had an F-150, so we decided to go the uh, construction worker route with okay. it.
0: And, how did, and well, what did you do from there?
2: Well, what we did is we uh, we got as close to the house as we could with the truck. Uh, I had another investigator with me. Uh, I purchased a little amber warning light from Walmart, stuck it up on the roof, turned it on, put a safety vest on, put out some traffic combs, a hard hat, and uh, just started conducting our surveillance. And now, did you
0: have some kind of something to identify the truck that it was a? A utility truck.
2: Yeah, yes, I do. I actually have uh, some magnetic signs made up. I, I've got several different signs for different occasions. On this particular one, I think it was uh, something, you know, mid-state utilities or or something along those lines. I I prefer to go something like a utility service company because no one really knows what that is. Right. You, you know, I mean, no, no one really knows what it... Okay, that could be any utility that we're doing, and we could be doing anything with any utility.
0: Right. And you have to be careful not to um, identify yourself as a, as a real company anyway.
2: Without a doubt, yes. Yeah. That, that is something that we never, ever, ever want to
3: do.
0: Like, for instance, you wouldn't want to be a UPS truck because that would be, okay. well... Boy, I don't know if yeah, that's being illegal. certainly unethical.
2: Exactly. Boy, as beneficial and uh, as beneficial as one of those UPS trucks could be to me, you're right. We have to draw the line somewhere, and and I, I agree with you on that one.
0: So here you are with it. You've got your Ford one hundred and fifty F-150 truck. You've got your the signs on the truck that say you're a utility services company. You guys are in hard hats and safety vests, and you've got cones around your truck. So who would question that?
2: Very few people. Uh, <laughs> it's very rare. You know, you'll, you'll have the occasional person that came up. Um, I know we did have someone in the neighborhood that asked what we were doing, and we just told them that we track, we track utility lines for several different utility companies, and they said Okay. And uh, we upped it a little bit by taking a metal detector out and walking around a vacant lot with a metal detector. Um, And that was it. You know, on that particular job, we were able to finish up our surveillance and we weren't questioned again until the very last day, which, which is actually very interesting the way we were questioned on that one.
0: And what happened there?
2: Well, we were just about finishing up and a, uh, another work truck pulled up and a gentleman had came out of the truck. He parked across the street and he was dressed pretty much the same way that we were, which, which was, was kind of funny.
0: I'm sure there was uh, a bit of an adrenaline rush when he pulled up.
2: Without without a doubt, there was the the investigator I had with me was in training at that time, <laughs> and uh, he was he was almost in tears. He was panicking so much. Yeah, um, you know he's like, oh, this is it. we're busted, we're busted. And I said, well, I, right. you know, it's not really something that we're going to be. You know, we're not going to spend any prison time for this. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, so, you know, we're just doing our job, but that's. You know, that, those are some of the things as an investigator, a new investigator, you have to get through. Mm-hmm. Well, the gentleman came up the truck and I rolled down the window and you know, we had our, hey, how you doing? Good. He goes, okay, are you the supervisor here? So, of course, I said, well, yes, I am. Thinking that of my crew of two, I was the supervisor.
0: <laughs> okay. But what I
2: didn't know is that he was reporting to duty and was supposed to meet the supervisor they were going to start doing construction on the street with the utilities. Oh, how funny. So, so he thought that I was his supervisor. But I said, "No, you must be with the uh, you must be with the other crew. They should right. be here soon." So Yeah, that was that was a uh, that was interesting the way that worked out.
0: Well, you obviously were pretty authentic.
2: Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, oh, that, that's, a, that's a really creative one. Uh, what are some others? What, what's a, give us another one.
2: Well, one that I like to use um, fairly, uh, fairly often, actually, that we, that we use is just as a property management company. Um, this allows us to go up to locations for a short period of time, but we can be there every single day we've got a great cover story with that if if we get questioned by anyone. And a lot of the areas we work in, you know, it's not too hard to find a house that's for sale or to find a house that's uh that that's a rental property or something along those lines. So right. that works out fantastic for us.
0: Yeah, I can I can see how that would and um and you just mentioned cover story. It's important, really important, to have your cover story planned in advance, isn't it?
2: It absolutely is. I mean, you may have a you may have a neighbor that comes up to you. Um, you know, I'm I'm fortunate, and when I was with the police department, I worked with the neighborhood watch units for several uh-huh. years. So, um, you know, most of most of those folks stick out to me like a, you know, like a ballerina on a football field. Uh, you know, I'm like, and here comes the neighborhood watch person. So,
0: uh-huh. that's um, always, one.
3: always yeah, one. Yeah. In every neighborhood. And, and, Even-
2: <laughs> and you know, and, and that's just fine, but you've got to have a good story for those folks. You're not going to tell them, oh, I'm just sitting here or I'm waiting for, for a friend to meet. It, that's not going to work. It will not work. So you have to have a good cover story. Mm-hmm. And the property property management company you know we're checking on these houses each day for security reasons or whatever it might be um, that that that's a great way to to really kind of blend in if you need to
0: yeah exactly um, and when you do the property management company, do you also do the magnetic signs with with something like that on it too?
2: on occasion we will um it depends. You, you really have to get a feel for the neighborhood first.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you, you know, if you go there on your first couple of days and people are watching you the first couple of days, then the next day you better have something on there explaining who you are. Otherwise, the police are going to come or yeah, someone's right. going to question you. Okay. So We need
0: to t- and- we need to take another break, Billy, real quick. Sure. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri, PI, Billy Reynolds, and I'll be right back. Don't go away.
1: NCISS and CALI are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah!
0: Billy and I are back, um, and we were just talking about uh, various scenarios for to stay hidden. And I, I was just thinking, um, Billy, when you're talking about the construction scenario, it, or any other scenario, the property management, it's it's important to have authentic clothing. Like, oh, for instance, you wouldn't go out. A doubt. <laughs> you wouldn't be out on the construction site, for example, with wingtip shoes, because. That would be obvious.
2: It, exactly. And you, you have to make it authentic. Um, it has to be authentic. You know, one thing that we had looked at with construction in particular, uh, a lot of the crews will wear Carhartt overalls. So you better have a pair of Carhartt overalls if you want to fit in, if you, if you want to look the part. Um, you know, we've got... I, I give you something that was worked out a little bit off because it's process service, but we had a great, I've got a great example of, of fitting in with one of our process servers. Okay. Um, we had a doctor generally when we get called the process service, uh, uh to serve process, it's, we get the ones that have already went through the other companies. So we're right. getting the top ones. We had had a particular doctor who had refused service several times, and his staff was basically at the point that we couldn't walk into his office. They would turn us away, and uh, we had even had the, the first day our server tried to serve him, they turned us away, which is a violation of our state law. Um, so we called the police to assist us. Well, they ended up calling up his attorney, who intimidated the police, and and the police made us go away. So now it's a challenge. So my process server said, well, we've got this medical building, and we've got the parking garage. So if I dress up in a nice business suit to look like I'm one of the administrators here, I can fit right in in the parking garage. Mm -hmm. So she did that, parked her car. We knew what the dr- doctor was driving, and then she basically just walked through with a briefcase in the garage, and he didn't pay her a bit of attention until she walked up and handed him the papers. Yeah. So that, that, that worked out great, because she just looked like she fit in where she was at.
0: And that's a huge advantage for women in private investigation, is because we don't look like we should be private investigators.
2: I absolutely. I love women as investigators. I, I, I think they, they just bring so much to the industry and and, and to the business. That women are fantastic. They, just the way they look at things. Um, you know, we that's been very advantageous in in regards to uh, having female PIs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Just
2: they just their perceptions are a little bit different than the guys.
0: <laughs> True. That's true. Um, Just a little bit. We won't get into that part. (laughs) Uh, So so you could just just think of a variety of things. You could be property management. You could be a a property appraiser. You could be an inspector. You could be a construction worker. Um, I mean, particularly, uh, you were mentioning, you know, a, a block with only three houses and vacant lots. But a real challenge is when somebody's out in the country.
3: yes it is
0: three houses on an entire section road
2: (laughs) yes it is and we we have conducted rule surveillance um the key there is is to fit in this generally is not going to be a time that i'm going to use one of my female investigators right um i will generally want one uh We actually, I actually subcontracted one specifically because of the investigator. He had a nice long beard. Uh, He dressed in camo every day, just going to, just going shopping. So this guy was, was perfect. And he went out in the woods with his, uh, with, with his gear and just looked like a hunter out in the woods.
3: Uh Uh-huh.
2: So, I mean, it was, you know, again, obviously anyone in the woods, they're going to see this guy. Uh, we were even at the time of the hunting season, he had the orange cap on. But we didn't have a, I didn't have a problem with him because he looked like a hunter. That's exactly what he, he looked like. So, again, he stood out, but not, not to our target.
0: Yeah, and I can tell you from growing up in a rural area that people in those areas will challenge you. If you, if they don't know you, they haven't seen you before. If it doesn't fit with this, with what they know, they're going to challenge you. And probably, actually, probably more than in a urban neighborhood.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's no, there's no doubt about that. And we were aware of that. So we talked to the landowner where we were setting up. Um, <laughs> the last thing that you want to do, is find yourself in in handcuffs for trespassing. Mm-hmm. So we did. We talked to the landowner about it, and we had permission to use to use the particular uh, area of land that we were on. Because aside from the fact of the trespassing, we knew that that was going to happen. Right. Somebody standing out there, they are going to be challenged. So there is no doubt about that.
0: Well, and and somewhere you wrote something, and I read. Billy, that uh, uh, recommends checking public records and doing uh, some research ahead of time before you even go out there?
2: Definitely. I mean, that's, Francie, that's what our job's all about. You know, our job is about information. So you don't want to be the guy out there not having the information if you get questioned. Right. Um, you Yeah, know, we've been stopped by law enforcement and I don't there are a lot of cases that we work that I don't want law enforcement to know what we're doing out there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm not, I'm not trying to hide from them or hide anything, but you know, sometimes they have connections with the very people that we're, that we're watching. So right. it, it doesn't make sense to tell them what we're, what we're doing. As long as we're, as long as we're following the laws, you know, I, I feel that we probably should go into as little detail as we possibly can. That's my feeling on that.
0: Well, you know, there. Are, if you talk to a group of private investigators that do surveillance, there's a lot of them that recommend calling into law enforcement and telling where you're mm-hmm. going to be. Um, what do you think about that?
2: We have done that. Um, I think it needs to be on a case-by-case situation. However, again, I, I have been in areas where uh, law enforcement is... Overly aggressive I am a, a six foot three two hundred and forty five pound white male, and in a lot of the, a lot of the African American neighborhoods, I stick out like a sore thumb, mm-hmm. so they want to know what i'm doing there at three o'clock in the morning and rightfully rightfully <laughs> so
0: you think <laughs> yeah
2: but but my, pr- my preference is that they don't know that I'm there. I, I prefer that they don't know. Unless I feel there's some sort of a danger, you know, something going on um, that they would need to know, I prefer to get in, do what I need to do, and get out. Generally, we won't call unless we're on longer surveillances uh, or, or we see some something sticks out to us that, hey, we better, we better let them know.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, some other ideas you had, um, too, I, th- I thought, jogging in a neighborhood, you know, pretending you you pulled a muscle or pulled your hamstring. I did that this morning. You did that this morning? <laughs> well, I right. did that this morning. It's
2: actually uh, as hot and humid as it is here. Um, and I, I did that exact thing. I needed to identify if a, if a car was at a particular residence. And it was on a uh, it was on a cul-de-sac, and there are only so many times that I can drive down a cul-de-sac until it starts to get very obvious. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: But uh, I can certainly walk around that cul-de-sac and and do what I need to do. So that yes, I I did, and and that does work.
0: And how is that hamstring?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine. After I was able to stretch it out for just long. Yeah. How long it? <laughs> How long does it take to read a license plate? So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and walking your dog. You, you. Ha- I know you have a dog. I
2: have I have two dogs that I use for surveillance. Uh, okay. I have my pit bull Lucy and my my Doberman Audrey, and um, I will actually I actually use them quite often. In particular, if I'm uh, placing a re- uh, remote camera, um. Or I, I love the little the little brick house security micro H D cameras. They're little okay. hundred dollar drop cameras that I just love putting those down. But I can I can take my, my pit bull, she's she's my one where I can take her off of the uh collar and she will smell the ground for for an hour. <laughs> so she'll walk around and, and people will look at the dog and see hey what's going on with the dog
0: and of and, course when you have a pit bull named lucy how can you <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly exactly and she's she's uh everyone everyone loves her and she's a big tail wagger and um so she gets attention off of me very very quickly
0: so back um, to that Back to that camera you mentioned. I'm not familiar with that. I don't do this kind of work, so um, maybe people are interested in that. So why don't you talk about that just for a minute?
2: Okay. Well, it's uh, the company name is Brickhouse Security. I think it's BrickhouseSecurity.com. Okay. They make a little camera that is the, uh, It's maybe the the length of a cell phone, uh, a little bit thicker. But you're, it's the most versatile camera I've ever had. Um, we can make, we can make uh, covert camera systems out of it. So, say, for example, I wanted to put it into a, uh, a purse for my, for my female PI, or I wanted to put it into a, uh, I think they show a Kleenex box as an example. They work great for that. It's lightweight enough. That I have used Velcro to Velcro it up to a a parking structure in an apartment complex, hmm. which actually allowed us to break a case that we had been working on for a month prior. Okay, um, and it's just they're just fantastic. They're great. They're they're inexpensive, hundred dollars, and the video is is pretty darn good, especially for a hundred dollars. And, and is it battery operated? Yeah, they're rechargeable. It's basically rechargeable. I just hook it into a USB port. It uses a micro SD card, and uh, we're good to go. It has a ton of different settings. Uh, You can set the quality of the video, the length of the video. Uh, You can set it to activate basically with motion, activate with sound. We always turn the sound off on ours so I don't have to get into that mess, which I suggest that to everyone. Uh, Turn the sound off. And uh, you can also do it with vibration.
0: Yeah, because you, uh, I don't know about, well, I don't know what your laws are in Missouri, but some states have two-party recording requirements, so you wouldn't want to get involved in that legal hassle.
2: Exactly, exactly. Unless Unless we are on an investigation where we know we need audio, and it's been okayed by an attorney. We don't record audio.
0: That's You know what, Billy? I, I,
2: I think everyone should do that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, you're not going to believe this, but we are at the end of our hour. I know it goes really fast. We have so much more to talk about. But uh, we are at the end of our hour, and I appreciate you being on the show. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of this show. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Billy.
2: Thanks for having me, Francie. It's been great. Okay. A lot of fun.